welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Thanks for joining us again this week as we discuss government and politics in the state of Oklahoma and even beyond, but mostly just here in the state. Joining me today is uh, my co-host, Scott Nelson. Hello, sir. What's up, dude? How are you? You know, uh, it is freaking hot, man. Like it Ooh. is, it is, it is. The, you ever heard that, uh, that, that party in New York? The political party that says the the rent is too damn high. The rent is too damn high. Party. It's an actual political party in New York. Um, I think I should start a um, "It's too damn hot outside" party in Oklahoma City. I think we'd all sign up. You've got movement. Yeah. I'll run You've for. I'm going to run for governor on "It's too damn hot." The my platform is "It's too damn hot." What are you going to do to change it? Uh, you know, you'll have to. Uh, you got to join the party, pay dues, come to our convention, and find out. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Just give the money now, and we promise we'll deliver something on this later. What yeah. could go wrong? That's a little too on the nose for <laughs> politics in general. That's that's how it works, right? <laughs> Don't worry right. about it. Don't worry about it. Just donate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm I'm well. It's uh, I, listeners. It's been six months now since my mother passed away from COVID. Uh, and Scott and I were talking before we started recording about that. Uh, I had dinner with my dad and sister this week uh, on on the dates to kind of commemorate that and um, you know assess where we're at and what it's been like and how we continue to move forward. Uh, but for all of our listeners who have lost a loved one, I know there are many because I've heard from you. Um, you know, God, it sucks, and my condolences to your loss. And um, I I will say it it um, it gets. It does get is easier. Everyone tells you that, and you know it's probably true. And so it's a little affirming to see that happen. But um, I think there's lots of other things that are kind of uh, endearing about uh, going through something and getting to know your family members in a, a completely different way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I can't, I literally can't imagine. Um, you know, we hadn't actually planned on this, but this might be a good time to do. It. We haven't done a COVID update in a while. Um, you know, so it might be, it might be good to talk briefly about that. I don't have statistics in front of me right now about what the latest kind of case count is here in Oklahoma. Um, I can tell you, what did you say, Andy? Well, I was going to say that we are at 36% vaccinated, I believe. That's fully vaxxed. Yes. And I think, uh, no new deaths were added today. Um, we've been hovering around, 200 cases per day. I think today was like 181 um, in the last 24 hours. So I think our seven day average is just shy of 200. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, still, um, still, still there, you know, it's not over, you know, despite, uh, despite Memorial day celebrations and uh, uh, you know, full restaurants or busy restaurants and those sorts of things. Um, that's not to say that COVID is not to say that COVID is gone. And um, there is, there is a, a variant now circulating in the U S the Delta variant. You guys may have heard of this. This is um, you know, the alpha variant was what was uh, described in the UK as the, the UK variant, the Delta variant. This is the variant that was uh, became predominant in India. It's now the dominant strain in the UK as well. Um, it's about 10% of cases in the U S right now. It'll probably be the dominant strain in the U S um, in the next few weeks. And that's bad because Delta does a couple of things that, that, uh, that, that other variants haven't, haven't really done yet. So the first thing is, 
Um, Delta looks to be roughly 50% more transmissible than the Alpha variant. So the Alpha variant in the UK, um, the thing that made it kind of scary was it seems like it, it's, it's much, much more easily transmitted from person to person. It was about 50% more transmissible than the original strain of COVID, than, than wild type, okay? Delta variant is about 50% more transmissible than Alpha variant, okay? So the Delta variant is to the Alpha variant, what the Alpha variant was to the wild type strain, the original COVID. So that's, that's bad, right? This is the spread super easy. It also seems to cause more severe symptoms in people. It, it makes people sicker. So that's that's two two bad things. Now, the, the good thing is that it does appear that the, the vaccines we have, Moderna and Pfizer, in particular, I haven't seen data on Johnson & Johnson, but the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines appear to be like pretty close to 90% efficacious against the Delta variant, maybe even as high as 90, 93 or 94%. So they work really, 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 really well if, and this is really important, if you get both shots, right? One thing that is scary about the Delta variant is that we saw in earlier strains that you had 50, even sometimes high as 80% protection after just one dose of the Moderna vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine. That's pretty, pretty incredible. With the Delta variant, it's about 33%, which means that this is a variant that it looks like maybe is starting to figure out ways to kind of evade the immune response that is generated by our vaccines. That's like real bad y'all that's like really 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 bad news and so it is it it remains incredibly important that everyone get vaccinated and not only that you get vaccinated that you vac- that you get vaccinated with both shots i really don't want us to be having a conversation in january where we're all in lockdown again and we're waiting for like the next version of the vaccine that's effective against the you know delta one or whatever comes along after that um you know none of us want that obviously so get vaccinated encourage your friends and family to get vaccinated if they're hesitant you can talk to them you can talk to their doctor i would really encourage you don't try to shame people right don't try to shame people into getting vaccinated it doesn't work don't try to show them studies one if you're someone who has the requisite like training and experience to read studies you know, do that for yourself, but studies are not a great way to convince most people uh, to change their mind about probably anything, but certainly about vaccines. Um, the best way to get people to change their mind about vaccines is is to talk to them from the heart, to talk to them and let them know, let them see that you do, you care about them, you care about their well-being, you care about the safety of them and their family, you know, maybe share your story of getting the vaccine. Um, and, and like I said, what I tell patients all the time is I want, I want the same protection for you and your family that I got and that I made sure my family had. And that's been the most effective approach for me. So that's, uh, that's COVID. Yeah. So takeaways, right. In summary, takeaways are Delta type is both more, uh, easily transmissible and more severe. If you get it, if you're vaccinated, you're probably okay. But this means that we are likely to see an increase in the number of cases among those who are unvaccinated, right? And they're gonna, it's going to hit them harder. So even though I think younger people are less likely to be vaccinated, this includes children, which is a sad reality right now, right? Um, as those trials are ongoing. Um, but that means that we might see um, both the vaccine refusers, they used to call them vaccine hesitant. At this point, I think it's just those who refuse um, and and those who are not yet eligible, so kids, 
might might have an increase. And I started to see this week some concern by some experts uh, about what the fall and winter may look like if we don't continue to vaccinate. Now, in many states, vaccination rates are upwards of 70%, which is outstanding. Even, even, even 80 or pushing yeah. 80 in some Right. Ways. I mean, Delaware was down to like less than a thousand people who were eligible and had not been vaccinated. And I was like, you know who they are? That sounds incredible. Uh, Oklahoma is not the case. We were only at 36% vaccinated. So um, if this happens, right, like it very well may be that rural Oklahoma, rural America gets where the vaccine rates are lower, going to get hit hard. That would be tragic. And, and one question I get a lot is, well, you know, hey, man, I had COVID. So, like, I don't really need the vaccine, right? Eh, incorrect. If you had COVID, you can and should still be vaccinated. Um, there is some protection. There is there is certainly natural immunity. It does not appear to be as strong uh, as, uh, as the immunity that you get from vaccines. And I don't think, I don't know the data on uh, protective immunity from natural infection to the Delta variant specifically. So uh, if, you're, if you are eligible and you are, if you are eligible to get vaccinated, you should get vaccinated. Pretty, yeah. pretty pleased for your sake, for all our sakes. Do it. Do it now. All right. Well, um, turning more to government uh, again this week, it's a relatively quiet week, Scott. And I think part of the reason um, might be that we are officially in the campaign season for next year. At this point, I saw a number of candidates this week, Oklahoma County Commissioner Kerry Blumert, uh, State Senator Julia Kurt, um, State Senator Kerry Hicks. K. Floyd, I think, like a bunch of folks have formally kicked off their campaign for 2022. We are 18 months out. Well, I guess technically we're only 12 months out from the primary, uh, right? But they can't they can't formally even file for office until this fall. And for those in state office, you know, we have a we have preliminary boundaries for what their districts may look like, but. Um, there's always a chance those could change. So, so you're saying there's a chance. Right. I am saying there's a chance. And that includes county commissioners. They have to redraw those districts as well. Uh, but they've kicked off their re-election campaigns uh, this week, which means, uh, listeners, you can expect uh, someone knocking on your door and flyers to start in mere months. Right? You know what else we don't talk about enough? Like, And I say we, meaning the podcast, and also we all the voters of Oklahoma is city council, but a number of city council members, I think, including the mayor are all up for reelection next year. Uh -huh. and it's in February, right? Yep. Yep. And yep, so yep. this is a, like a, uh, what are those elections, you know, that flies under the radar, but local, you know, all politics is local as they say. And the closer the race is to you, the, the bigger the impact it has, on your everyday life. For example, every, you know, most every pothole you encounter, traffic lights, parks, uh, water service, uh, uh, trash service, all these things are city related. And that means your city council person should have a role in that. I am, uh, speaking of, I'm banding together with some of my neighbors here in our neighborhood to advocate, I think, at the city level for. To, for us to be included in the bike walk OKC plan, we, our neighborhood is just outside the boundaries of the formal plan, but we have an elementary school and a high school in our neighborhood, and we are boxed in by 
you know, like 23rd street and may Avenue, some pretty busy roads. And there's even a little strip here. I think listeners know I live in Cleveland. So uh, between may Avenue and Villa on the East and uh, 23rd and 30th is, is where we're at. So I'm, we're just here, just West of shepherd mall or shepherd center or whatever it's called now. And this stretch of Villa for just that half a mile, is four lanes wide with nothing on one side's like a little hill and the other side is a giant parking lot and people just speed down that you can hear their cars like it is bananas how fast people get going for that half a mile it's like a little drag strip i was gonna say do people do people drag over there like do people I, use it, it, as, as like a, it do people use it as a race as a race trip i don't usually come over here sometime like around 10 o'clock at night it is just exhausts revving and also on 23rd they zip up here and what's scary about this is that kids have to walk across this to get to school right yeah, um, yeah. and so in the mornings like on 30th there's um uh there's no sidewalk right there either and it's it's like downhill towards the high school and it's really like poor visibility cars drive way too fast uh, and so we're advocating for some changes to be made to that and some like even signage and stuff inside the neighborhood you know people roll stop signs and whatever we'd like to have some dedicated lanes you also can't really access our neighborhood from the east from villa because there's like a no. steep hill there yeah you can, like climb up a little drainage thing now there yeah. used to be there used to be stairs that went down that hill at mm-hmm. uh, at the end of i think at the end of 25th yeah, there's still like real narrow, like little concrete steps. Yeah, are they still there? Yeah. yeah. So listeners may or may not know, I don't think I've ever talked about it, but uh when I was when I was a youngin', up until I was like, I want to say probably twelve, maybe fourteen, something like that, uh, my grandparents lived in Cleveland. In fact, their house uh was one of the original houses uh in the neighborhood when when it when it was still mostly like farmland surrounding it. My mom talks about remembering uh, she and her brothers got mad because their fishing pond was uh, on the old shepherd farm, which is where shepherd mall is now. Uh, and they were mad when they built, they were mad when they built the mall. So uh, I have spent, I have, I have ridden many a bike up and down uh, the end of whatever that street is there. That's uh, there runs along the East side of the neighborhood. Does that street have a name? Up, upper it, Villa. Uh, yeah, so like right there along Upper Villa, that's uh, I I can't say I learned to ride a bike there, but I got a lot of experience riding a bike there. You were not the first. In fact, these the concrete that's there, you know, for on twenty fourth and twenty fifth, it's the original um, concrete that was poured in nineteen thirty six by the WPA. It still has the stamp in it. Oh yeah, just, oh, yeah. Um, it's also makes you think how many times they've redone I thirty five between here and Dallas since 1936 and how long these roads have lasted i get the traffic's different but i'm just saying it was some solid concrete you know it is interesting i mean the you know we here i i live uh i live on the uh at like 42nd and 42nd walker you know near uh 235 broadway extension and we hear the same thing it's from the highway it's not obviously from a neighborhood street but it's like people use that for a racetrack at about 10 30 11 o'clock on friday and saturday nights yeah, um, it's just I don't you know. Listeners, if you are one of the drivers using our roadways as racetracks late at night, please send us an email at podcast at let'sfixthis.org. Let us know why and who you're racing. And also, please stop. 
Do you ever drive down Northwest 39th, like out towards Bethany and Warwickers on Saturday uh, nights? I, I haven't in a I haven't I haven't in a minute, but uh, I am familiar with the racing that happens uh, out there. I I enjoy a car show, and it's uh, it's an element of that. Yeah, the racing part makes you a little nervous if you're driving along. But uh, in college, it was a hoot, right? Like when I was in college, Fast and Furious had just come out, and so suddenly everyone hopped up their Honda Civic and was sitting out there on the street on Saturday nights. It's like a throwback to a, a time gone by. For sure. For sure. Well, anyway, we should get back to politics. Right? What else is happening? <laughs> anyway, what else besides car races and uh, uh, advocating for bike walk? Yeah. So, so that's the, uh, uh, I think that has to do with some of the quietness is that everyone is focused on other things, namely like, campaign fundraisers and starting to lay the groundwork and also not ruffling any voters feathers. I mean, yeah. So do you, Scott, like, let's, let's take a deep dive into this. I think what we might see for the rest of this year is by and large, well, the legislators will be gearing up for the next legislative session and the next session will be the last one before the election for all these folks, like for the entire state house and, you know, half the Senate. And that means interim studies which are being filed and bills eventually that'll be filed and many of them even more so in an election year are aimed at making a news hit right turn out the base right and so this goes both ways like we will see as we always do egregious ridiculous absurd unconstitutional bills that will get a news hit because they are ridiculous outrageous unconstitutional right so that that appeals to certain voters so here's a question you let's let's this you know both okay do both sides do this yes like full stop um as we know currently the r's have a super majority in both houses of the oklahoma state legislature so um their red meat bills are going to be the ones that pass, right? Um, if any of them do. So if I was going to ask you to name your top, I don't know, top three issues um, that you feel like the majority might use to try and uh, get their base riled up and make sure they show up to the polls, what would you say they are? Uh, like the specific demographics? No, no, no. What Top three issues. Like what are they going to, what are the top three bill subjects that you would see that say the majority would use to really make sure that their base is engaged, shall we say? Right. So I would say economic issues, right? Tax cuts, uh, uh, job creators as a related. Uh, and then, then we get into social bills. And so abortion is a, I think a time and tested thing for the majority party okay. and the current, the Republican party, I'll say the ones that are in the majority now. Um, and then after that, other social bills, I don't, it, that, I think the third place varies, right? Sometimes it's it's probably education related, but it could be like local control or prayer in schools or something along those lines. That's so so I would say, I would say guns, abortion, oh, and gun. guns, abortion. And then I would actually say that the third thing, I think you're right. It does vary. I, I actually don't think that tax cuts get that, get people those, get people that get, get riled up. You know what I mean? I think tax cuts, uh, I think tax cuts get donors engaged. I don't know that tax cuts get most voters that engaged. Um, but even if we say that they are tax cuts, let's say it's guns, tax cuts, and abortion. Here's the question I would put to you. Mm-hmm. 
what are the bills going to be? Because number one, like how can you make how can you make Oklahoma a more gun friendly state than it already is? Like I'm I'm literally like what can like we have we have open carry we have permitless carry we have like I literally don't know what else you can do to make Oklahoma like a more quote unquote like pro gun state than we already are. So like what what's what's the bill to do it? That's the first thing. Second thing, abortion. Big abortion case is going to be heard by the Supreme Court this year. <clears throat> They'll hand down a decision. It's expected uh, towards the end of the spring term in 2022. So we could have a major, like major, major abortion decision coming from the Supreme Court in like May or June next year. I don't know if they'll overturn Roe or not, but it seems pretty clear that this fall they're going to have the opportunity. And you have, I think, uh, I, I think it is safe to say that you have um, at least at least five, if not six, justices on the court. That seem pretty committed to overturning Roe for whatever, uh, you know, whether they're coming at it from a place of they think abortion is wrong, or they're coming at it a place from from a place of legal reasoning, or both. Um, it seems like there are five justices, so it is possible that next year, at the end, middle middle of June next year, Andy, you and I are having this conversation, and Roe has been overturned, right? Okay. Um, Oklahoma is about as gun friendly as it can possibly be. Um, I think we discussed last week or the week before that we're like 49th, maybe maybe 50th in terms of uh, total taxation. What like what else? Like what else? <laughs> like I'm yeah. like I'm literally like what are the bills? What are the, like what's what comes next? I don't yeah. is it is it possible to continue cutting taxes? Is it possible to say that like we're going to give every Oklahoman a grenade launcher? Like that's the you know like what's the I don't know what's the what's the platform after that? What do you what do you get the Republican that has it all a grenade launcher? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> Scott, I think you raise a very interesting question, right? Because um, at some point, in theory, they run out of issues, or they they have to find new ones. They can't keep using the same issues they've been using for years and years. Um, yeah, so already this term, this I think this year they passed a bill that essentially is like a trigger bill, so that if if Roe is repealed and everything else has both basically been ruled unconstitutional like attempts to try to restrict the time further and criminalize doctors that perform them and criminalize women that seek them and all these issues and yeah and then guns we already have uh you know permitless carry so there's nothing else we could do i will say i i would not i think the goal for some of those folks is to eliminate taxes entirely right at, at which, because not every state has a state income tax. So I think that's what they would like to do. They want to make everything property taxes and sales taxes. I think so. Yeah. I mean, they want to get, they want to get rid of those two. Like, well, I think at some point they realize that they got to get paid themselves. Right. So, I mean, you know, I mean, there are some dudes out there who would just as soon do away, do away with the whole government. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's true. I just, it, it is just puzzling to me because we talk about the, we talk about the the red meat stuff and it's like, and I think, you know, that's a hundred percent right. Like that those are the kind of bills we expect, but I feel like usually you can kind of like come up with what they're going to be. But like once you've, once you've caught, you know, once the dog has like caught the car, like what do you right, do then? Yeah. What do you do then? You know? So I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, new things come up all the time. For example, this year we have all those anti-protest bills, right? And honestly, if we want to forecast this, we should probably look at um, 
Alec, right? And see what what issues they are championing and what bills are running in other states. I so, know we are often one of the first states, but I think we'll start to see see that. That is a good question. So for those who are uh, not familiar, maybe catching up, we've got uh, Alec is the American Legislative Exchange Council. Um, they are they are a source for an absolutely stunning number of bills that we see here uh that we see here in oklahoma um alec comes up with legislation and they're a conservative think tank they come up with conservative legislation they find friendly legislators around the country they give it to them and say here pass this people will love it um and that's kind of what they do it's funny though because when you ask when you ask legislators if they if they got there if they got their bill from alec and you can kind of find this because you know you'll see like huh why is it that oklahoma mississippi texas florida georgia and idaho are all passing bills that you know restrict something or grant something but they the language is exactly the same and they're all doing it this year how did that happen are they in cahoots and it's no it's because they all got the bill from the american legislative exchange council so I'm I'm on their website now, and they have a a recent publication called uh, Rich, Rich States Poor States. Right, they do this every year. Um, have you looked at it yet? Uh, I had just pulled it up, actually. Okay, if you haven't looked at the table of the rankings, yeah. Uh, what's your guess on where Oklahoma ranks uh, on, the, on the Alec Laffer? <laughs> state economic outlook rankings for 2021. So this is uh, economic outlook. This is projections. It is a forecast based on state's current standing in 15 state policy variables. Each of these factors is influenced directly by state lawmakers through the legislative process. Generally speaking, states that spend less, especially on income transfer programs, and states that tax less, particularly on productive activities such as working or investing, experience higher growth rates than states that tax and spend more so based on that we're going to say oklahoma is number five. Ooh, you're close it, this their ranking here is a backward looking measure based on a state's performance on three important variables state gdp absolute domestic migration and non-farm payroll employment oh absolute domestic migration and thirdly non-farm payroll employment all of which are highly influenced by state policy Yes. Uh, so over the last ten years, Oklahoma is third, on follow or following uh, Utah, Florida are one and two. Oklahoma, and then rounding out the top ten, Wyoming, North Carolina, Indiana, Nevada, North Dakota, and Texas. Okay. All right. All right. Um, and so, it, I mean, it, generally speaking, if we're ahead of Texas on the list, I'm for it. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's got. I think they. Well, I understand this. There's the rankings, and then the second page. Oh, it has the rankings based on each of the performance rankings. Um, and I don't know. Oklahoma is 22 on this. We are 32nd in state uh, gross domestic product, state GDP. 29th in absolute do- domestic migration, and 16th in non-farm payroll. I don't understand how this works. If we're in the middle of the pack on all those things, why are we third overall? It could be because it's designed to make states that pass the most ALEC legislation have the highest rankings. I, that's my hunch. Could it also, be, like, could it way be they lean into it's like, all of this stuff is just what state, state legislators do based on state policies, based on the things that the folks at the state capitol in these states do, they'll be the best. 
Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, um, it's just absurd. Uh, they've got a little handout on each one, and it's uh, golly, yeah. Anyway, take whatever is the opposite of what they're saying here, and go do good policy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just absurd. So, uh, so here's you know a little bit of a transition, you know. Well, this also is related. So, um, we there's a news story this week. Oklahoma Watch has the story that uh, the William S. Key Correctional Center in Fort Supply, uh, this is a minimum security prison and part of the state prison system, um, will close by the end of 2021. Um, as be- because of that, uh, the 140 employees. Um, that work there, um, you know, they'll have the option to transfer to another facility. Um, there are no prisons within 80 miles of Fort Supply. Uh, the, the closest one is in Alva. Um, so it may be that there's uh, about 140 people in Fort Supply that are going to be looking for another job. Um, so what do you think Alec would say about that? They're closing the prison because it was going to take like 40 or 50 million uh, in, in renovations to kind of bring it up to bring it up to snuff as it were. So it seems like the conservative and fiscally responsible decision is to close the prison, but that's going to cost 140 people their jobs. So what do you think that Alec would say about that? And the folks that run Alec would say about that, because I think that the folks who work at Alec, along with some legislators that are quoted in this article, love to say that uh, government has never created a job. Only businesses create jobs and small businesses uh, you know, businesses, business owners are job creators. We don't call them people anymore. We call them job creators. Um, you know, and I want to be clear. I, <laughs> I am not, I am not advocating that um, the state of Oklahoma should open more prisons so we can create more government jobs. But at one point we opened this one and it created 140 jobs and now those jobs are going to go away. So like, where does that, where does that fall in conservative orthodoxy when a government program closes in a small rural conservative town and cost 140 people their jobs. Right. Well, was this a state facility then? This is not, a, yeah, this is not a private facility. This is, this is a state facility. William F. Key correctional facility. Interestingly, uh, it was opened in 1989 on the grounds of a former mental health hospital. So uh, I'll leave, I think it's a discussion for another day, what it says about mental health in this country that you can take a former mental hospital and then use it as a prison. Um, you know, that's probably a, it's probably a whole separate episode, um, that discussion, but yeah. Have I ever told you about when I was working for that state facility in Texas and what my office was like? You, you've not. It, it was, um, so it was a, a state facility for people with developmental disabilities. Um, there are a number of them around the state, formerly called state schools, now state supported living centers. Um, all the buildings, there was, you know, six or seven units um like each each building was a unit with kind of a different demographic of uh of person who lived there uh, everyone lived at the facility um some of them had guardians or parents outside like in the community some of them did not they were wards of the state and uh the you know facility had been there for decades so i guess back in like the 60s my what was now my office was a restraint room um, that had like a, a piece of wood on the wall with like the the rings, like the steel rings 
where they would tie people up and there's like a drain in the floor because they would just, I think, strip them naked and just tie them up in there, basically. And it was like it's all cinder block, right? The door locked whenever it closed. Um, and I was there. I'd just been there like a month or two and there was a big storm coming through. And so it knocked the power out. This is in a rural town in South Texas. And the you know power went out. And I'm just sitting there. And all I know is like this story about my office. I'm like looking across the room at this, you know, what was formerly used to torture people, basically. And I'm like, you know, playing Minesweeper thinking, I have made a terrible decision. <laughs> you, take, you, you, you didn't decide you wanted to retire there? No. I mean, that was the other thing. Some of the people had been there for like 30 years. I mean, both the employees and the folks living there. Like there was, you know, a, a set of uh, twin boys who were 36 and they'd been there for 32 years. Their parents brought them when they were four. And way back then, you know, the medical community, doctors and, and some people would just tell people, like, if your kid was disabled, to put them away. And this happened to my aunt where they they told her that she should just have her daughter committed to a facility and move on with her life. My aunt didn't. A lot of parents did, right? And because it was like commonly accepted, I guess. I don't know. It was, it was a, the whole thing was fascinating and bizarre and heartbreaking. And it is very different today than it was in the 60s and 70s, but not, it is not far enough along um, to make me want to stay there. So yeah, I worked there about nine months. <laughs> and then, Man, this is a sunny show we have today. New COVID variants that are taking over the That's world. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, right. horrifying, yeah. so horrifying model legislation. <laughs> terrible state of mental health care. Uh, man, it's, uh, it's a good day. It's a good day. Well, hey, on a, a positive note, this goes, but we're just all over the place today. Oklahoma County Clerk David Hooten is running for state treasurer. Uh, you may remember, listeners, that current state treasurer um, Randy McDaniel is not seeking re-election. So court, county court clerk David Hooten, who you may know from his ads with his horn, right? Hooten plays a horn. He has, he's like a trumpeter, right? <laughs> I'm looking forward to some statewide ads about Clerk Hooten and his horn. Absolutely. He's played it in the, some of the county commissioner meetings. Yes, right? I think that's I think that's correct. We've also got uh, during news COVID the, news, on the, <laughs> news on the county commissioner front. Uh, Jay Bridwell will be uh, challenging Commissioner Kevin Calvi for District Three, right? Uh, I think Calvi's Calvi's District Three, I believe. Um, so that's that could be a race to watch. Now we'll see what the districts look like because uh, they have to undergo redistricting. And as we discussed last week, um, the uh, Board of County Commissioners, or rather two of them, voted to give the authority of redistricting to the state legislative staff rather than the county legislative staff. So we'll see how those maps come out. Uh, we'll also, I think, have to see whether that process holds up. I think there might be some legal action to see if that's going to be allowed to stand. Uh, but we'll, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, do we know if that's legal? Uh, I mean, I think there are questions about that, but I don't know the answer to it. Uh, what what else happened this week? Uh, oh yeah, oh you. <laughs> this was this is. Uh, we talked last week about um, uh, uh, non doc uh, is suing the University of Oklahoma for the results of the Jones Day uh, investigation into financial misconduct and sexual misconduct against former University President David Bourne and Vice President Trip Hall. 
Um, OU responded to the lawsuit this week uh, with a letter that basically said, um, yeah, we understand that the public wants to know this, but we don't think the public needs to know this. Their actual quote was, this would satisfy the public's curiosity, but not its interest. Therefore, no, we're not going to give you the records. And it was like, so now public bodies can just decide, nope, we're not going to give you the records that in law we have to because we don't think you need it apparently is the position of the university uh as a double graduate of ou that is depressing yeah i think i expect we'll see more statements coming out from other individuals and organizations uh about this because it really is an egregious move right like the, the the state of oklahoma has or the excuse me the university of oklahoma has a a number of examples, a, a long pattern of behavior, both the university itself and um, the board of regents there of trying to eschew the transparency laws of our state. Um, and I'm glad that non-docs holding them accountable, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. What else? So, man? Uh, also, you know, now that we are into June, um, a number of the bills have become law uh, this year. One of them that, um, is going to affect a lot of folks is some, are some changes to the state's medical, excuse me, some changes to the medical marijuana laws and rules. And it's probably worth us this summer having someone on to talk about it that knows more about it than you and I do. Um, but they, the medical marijuana authority, OMA is going to have to hire nearly a hundred more people to help um, like enforce a lot of this stuff. So they are, you know, working towards maybe they've already implemented it or they're working to implement it. The seed to sale program, right? Where basically everything is tracked from seed to sale um, through the growers, the producers, the what refiners, whatever the other steps are there. Um, they've changed some of the testing laws. Oklahoma has pretty rigorous testing. So I guess in a lot of states, you have to test a certain percentage, you know, like one ounce out of every hundred pound bale of, of leaves. Right. Um, but in Oklahoma, it is required to test a sample out of every 10 pounds of material, which is a lot more. Um, so that means it's more cumbersome and it's a lot of lost product that goes to testing. So they're looking at some changes to that to make it, I think like around 50 for certain organizations. Um, the Oklahoma Tax Commission is also going to charge OMA one and a half percent. I think right now OMA collects like seven percent taxes on things. And so I guess the Tax Commission is taking some of it off the top and putting it into general revenue funds. Um, and then there's a lot more inspections going to be happening and crackdown. Uh, so like inspections of dispensaries and grow operations and also crackdown on black market operators out there because they're i mean you can imagine with a market the size of marijuana in oklahoma you're going to have bad actors who open up dispensaries or or illegal grow operations there's plenty of folks that are growing substantial amounts of weed in their backyards or in their fields and they don't have a license to do so and then that product finds its way to the shelves of a local dispensary because they don't have the seed to sale tracking, right? And this legitimately is a risk for the end user because let's say, you know, uh, Joe Blow 
is growing a bunch of dope in a barn or greenhouse out on his pasture or in his backyard. And he is growing it on some land that was previously like an oil dump site, right? Um, Or he is using, I don't know, cat urine as fertilizer or some other material, right? And that is that stuff goes into the plants that he harvests and packages it and takes it to his buddy who owns a dispensary in town and his buddy sells it and it makes people sick. Well, we don't know where that came from. They could label it with whatever they want right now and say, Oh, this came from a like legitimate place, but there's not, there's not the proper tracking mechanisms in place. Now I, my understanding of course, that means that level of bureaucracy involved is an additional cost to growers, to processors, to, you know, retailers. Uh, but that cost comes with added safety for the end user. And so you, I think you got to like, I don't know. I feel like you got to acknowledge that this is a public safety measure, right? I mean, you would think so. I mean, I, I you know, I, I feel like the, the, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma marijuana is, industry is it's a little bit like the Wild West. Um so I think, you know, I think I, I think some of these things are good. If we're going to have medical marijuana, we should treat it like a medicine. If we're not going to have medical marijuana, we should just legalize recreational marijuana and say that's what it is. So, um, yeah, these are things that are they going to make it more onerous on on some of the folks in the industry? Yes, I'm sure they will. Does that bother me really at all? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So some of the additional changes that will go into place starting September 1st, these are not in place yet, but um, all cannabis businesses will undergo a compliance inspection within the first six months of being licensed. All businesses will have 60 days from the date of their license um, to disclose to the Bureau of Narcotics any foreign financial interests in their operations. So if like the Russians are one of the financial investors in your Oklahoma grow operation, you have to disclose that or have your license revoked. Um, the make possession of up to one and a half ounces of marijuana by someone who can state a medical condition, but does not have a state issued license, a misdemeanor. Interesting. So if you get, if you don't have a license for, I mean, for whatever reason, and you get caught with up to one and a half ounces of weed and you can state a medical condition, a depression, right? <laughs> Glaucoma. This doesn't say you have to say that you have it. You can just state it. Um, that It would only be a misdemeanor and not a felony. Uh, allows the State Department of Health to issue emergency orders requiring licensees to immediately cease business operations um, and then clarifies the distance between a school and a dispensary. Um, it clarifies how the distance is measured, but also grandfathers in any dispensaries that are closer than a thousand feet if the school was established after the business was already licensed, which is that's bananas. I mean, right up here on May Avenue, you know, there's a couple of schools here and then the next stretch of road, a couple dozen dispensaries. Yeah. There's, there are four dispensaries that opened in 2020 between 30th and 36th street. (laughs) So in a half a mile, there are four dispensaries that opened in the past year. Yep. Feels like a lot. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So we will, yeah, we'll see if we can get some uh, some folks from uh, from Oma on to talk about the industry and what's 
what's happening there. Well, we may have our uh, friend of the pod, Brian Jones, come yep. back. He would be a great. He would be a great one. So, I mean, do we have anything else? I feel like that's. Uh, that's about it. That's about it, man. There's, uh, you know, it was uh, just a little bit, a little bit of small talk this week. Oh, one thing I did want to throw out. Uh, last week we talked about the musical in the Heights, um, uh, and and recommend that everybody should watch it. I believe I haven't gone back to listen to the episode, but I believe that I stated that it focuses on a a neighborhood in in New York, Washington Heights, uh, that is predominantly uh, uh, immigrants from Puerto Rico. That is not correct. They uh, Washington Heights is a neighborhood that, um, at least, uh, I think this is I think this is accurate. At least in the show, the focus is on a community of uh, immigrants that are predominantly from the Dominican Republic. So I apologize for misspeaking uh, about that last week. I'm sure Lin Manuel Miranda is very appreciative of your apology, Scott. I mean, he seems I, like the kind of guy who doesn't hold a grudge. That's true. I also think it's about a couple of characters that are from the Dominican Republic, but some of the other characters are from elsewhere in Latin America. Yeah, I, I, mean, uh, I watched it last weekend, but I don't remember that detail. It was quite so, good. Highly recommend. So, uh, what else is new, man? Anything else? We got anything else? It's not the end of it. That's it. Music's playing. Cool, man. That's it. Well, right. uh, have a great weekend. Have a, everyone have a happy Father's Day. If you are if you are celebrating with your father or whoever is a father figure in your life, I hope you get to celebrate with them and have a wonderful and safe uh, weekend. And hopefully, for the love of God, next week it will be cooler. I don't think that's going to be the case, but we can we can dream. All right, that's it. And remember, listeners, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week. <laughs>